You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode 42. This week, we're visiting the best songs of 1982. Let's go back to a time where Carol Ann talked to the TV people. Brad got caught looking, quote unquote, at Linda. John Rambo got hassled by the sheriff. Clint Eastwood stole the Soviet jet. Clubber Lang predicted pain. And everyone knew Norm's name. So let's style up your mullet and phone home to your host, Rob Heitman, and a replicant who's illegally living among humans, Alan Campbell. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where we discuss the best 12 songs from 1982 while enjoying a drink or two. I'm Rob. And I'm Alan. Alan, man, thank you for joining us, man. This has been since, uh, I guess, Aerosmith was last. Is that right? I think we did Rush last. Rush was last. Okay. He's done Aerosmith. He's done Rush here. It's great to be here. And it's great to have you. I'd like to thank everybody who's been active in joining in on our conversation on Facebook page with a special shout out to Gina Collins, Alex Hennon, Carissa Rittenberg, Lori Reese, Sean Martin, and Christina Jarno. Thank you so much for being a part of the cast. And everybody else who I didn't mention, thank you. It was a really good week. We're starting to do some voting on what artists we're going to cover next season. And there was a lot of people who chimed in, and I want to thank everybody. Looking back at 1982, TV shows premiering included Family Ties, Knight Rider, Cheers, and Silver Spoons. Big movies included Poltergeist, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, First Blood, which is the Rambo series, Blade Runner, Tron, 48 Hours, E.T., Porky's and Tootsie. <laughs> so, Alan, anything stand out to you in that load of movies there? Tootsie was really, was actually a really funny movie. It was. Yes. It was. And Dustin Hoffman is a great actor. And I've caught, in, I've caught Alan, you know, occasionally dressed as Tootsie sometimes. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're not supposed to talk about that. I know. Sorry. I mean, the Rambo series was huge, but Poltergeist was the one that jumped out to me. I remember watching that movie. I'm being really freaked out by it. You know, they had this like chair and it was like this fun ghost at the beginning and then it yeah. got really bad. And I think a lot of people who are involved in that movie, there's been a lot of tragedy that went along with that movie too. So that was kind of there. And uh, Knight Rider, of course, and Cheers, the, the TV shows that were big. I mean, everybody watched Cheers, Norm, yeah. all that stuff. And uh, Knight Rider, you had this awesome car, even though it was a Firebird, with Turbo Boost and it talked. Imagine a talking car. Imagine talking. And getting directions to, well, we have that now. And I, I actually knew a guy who was the voice of Kit. Oh, really? At Universal Studios, where you know, they had the tour. Oh, he doesn't sound anything like the original guy, though. They can take, Michael, I need you to go, or whatever it is. Right. And, but, but they can change the voice for Kit, I'm sure. They had some computerized right. it was, aspect of his voice, right? Yeah, some kind of um, you know, low-tech Yes. Plug in or something. Oh, uh, anyway, we're drinking something interesting today. Uh, Alan brought us Black Bush Mills, but the label says we'll be trying some Black Bush today. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's Bush Mills Black is really what it is. It's just so funny that they put it up like that. So you're almost asking for it. But anyway, the appearance is just... It's it's actually kind of golden, or it has this like copperish hue to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the aroma smells a little funky, but it's probably good. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> it's a it's a triple distilled, blended Irish whiskey, which is aged in used sherry and bourbon casks, 
which really impart a sweetness to it, but uh, it's not an overpowering or overdone sweetness. It's, it's very tasty. Yeah, and, right. and there's a smokiness there in there, too. I get the sherry, the apple. Let's be serious here. Mm, that black bush is sweet. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> uh, some earthiness in it, some baking, yes. some spices of some sort. Uh, obviously, you taste the alcohol. And if you, a few drops of water will will bring out that earthiness even more. Uh, I almost, almost get some honey, maybe even like a pear, and obviously the smoke. And the, the finish is actually, it's not too long. I don't get anything really new from the finish. It just kind of... It just kind of slowly fades away. Yeah, yeah but it's still the, the main taste. A lot of times you'll get different flavors from that. Uh, but it's good. I really... Yes, I agree. I haven't had Blackbush in a while, and it's, it's nice to... Uh, it's my first time. <laughs> Before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing specific songs from 1982 that we'll share under 20 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight, and then we may do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, the money for playing tunes will always head back to each artist. We have also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist, which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast. So subscribe once and always be updated. Look for the link to our YouTube playlist as well, because sometimes, especially during the 80s, music sounds better when you see it. Okay, let's just jump off the cliff. We're okay. at the edge. We're moving to the edge. Okay. And we're going to move. And Alan, what's your song of note? Let's go. My song of note is my song of note because of an interesting story that goes along with it. The band is Kansas. Uh, they are one of the better bands from what we think of as the classic rock period of the late 60s or early 80s. Really good musicians. One of the few bands of the time to feature a violinist. They've had multiple gold and platinum albums and two monster hits, Carry On Wayward Son and Dust in the Wind, so they are established heavyweights. At around 1980, two of the band members converted to Christianity. Dave Hope, the bass player, and Carrie Livgren, uh, guitar and keyboards. And Livgren was one of the main songwriters in the band, so the songs that he was writing from then on were reflecting his newfound faith in Christianity. This caused tension in the band, and lead singer Steve Walsh left the band and was replaced by a guy named John Elefante, who was also a professing Christian and a songwriter. So the resulting album, Vinyl Confessions, although not marketed as anything other than secular, was so lyrically oriented towards the Christian faith that CCM Magazine took notice and named the album the number one CCM album of 1982. Really? I had no idea. And I, I know probably the song you're going to go with, because the one I would go with. But just continue on. My song of note is Play the Game Tonight. Obviously. Multiple co-writers charted at 17 on Billboard. It's the band's third highest charting single behind the two hits I mentioned earlier. Uh, lyrically, the song seems to pose the question of whether or not there is any lasting value in the fame and fortune of being in a successful rock band. Musically, it's typical Kansas, great production, top-notch musicianship, stellar harmonies, and a really nice ascending violin arpeggio that closes out the solo bridge. And I think one of the reasons why the song and the album were readily accepted by Kansas fans 
is that the new singer Elefante sounded very much like the previous singer Steve Walsh. Sure. So even with the major change of a new lead singer, the band retained its unmistakable sound and it just continued on. This song started out as a song called Stay With Me Tonight, which was written by non-Kansas people, which is not something they always did. In fact, this is the first time they ever used outside writers in a song. They changed the title to Play the Game Tonight and then changed the lyrics, of course, but it was based off of this other song. Stay With Me Tonight by Danny Flower and Rob Frazier. Not that that matters or not that we know who they are, but it matters to the family of Danny Flower and Rob Frazier. So let's give them a little props. Yeah, and for those royalties. All right. Let's take a listen to Play the Game Tonight by Kansas off of the Vinyl Confessions album. That was Play the Game Tonight by Kansas. Good song. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, I had a chance to see those guys a couple of times. Excellent live band. No, that's great. That's great. Let's move on to my song of note. It's really one of the first songs I learned to play on acoustic, actually. And I remember my dad loving this song when I was 11 in 1982. It always stuck with me. I pick up my acoustic to this day. The song has a pull. It calls me to play it. The name of the song is Someday, Someway by Marshall Crenshaw. The song feels really older than it is. It's like as if Buddy Holly might have written it. It's truly upbeat. Uh, Marshall Crenshaw got his first break playing with John Lennon in the Beatlemania show. Mm-hmm. Then he started doing his own stuff, and he got the ability to showcase it because he had this platform. This is Marshall Crenshaw. I really thought that Someday was an, a breakthrough. I liked that it had this hypnotic riff basis. I liked the lyrics. And there was a lot of possible meanings and implications. Something kind of mysterious about it, and I like that. It was one of those that came out of me in a rush. So it's like, boom, next thing you know, the song is written. Instant inspiration. Yeah. And I think this hit uh, 36 on the top 100, which is Marshall Crenshaw's only top 40 hit. Anything on Marshall Crenshaw? I know it's a little obscure. Well, just a, just a comment that you know anything that makes you want to pick up a guitar is a good thing. Absolutely. Let's listen to Someday, Someway by Marshall Crenshaw, my song of note. <laughs> That's Marshall Crenshaw, Someday, Someway, my song a note. So what do you think? Good song. I like it. I like the jangly guitars. Yeah, as I said, it kind of it's a definitely a throwback song. I, I have to admit, I never heard of him or the song. Oh, really? Okay. No. Oh, that's a great tune. All right. Alan, what's your number 12? My number 12 out of the band is called Asia, a progressive rock supergroup formed in 1981 from former members of Yes, King Crimson, and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Their self-titled debut album spent nine weeks at number one on the Billboard album chart, certified four times platinum, and both Billboard and Cashbox agreed it was the number one album of the year. Two singles were top 40 hits from the album. Heat of the Moment was the first one. I think it got a little bit more airplay and was more popular, but I think only Time Will Tell, which is my number 12. It's a better song. (laughs) Uh, it was the second single released in the U.S. and charted at number 17. Now, there was criticism from fans because, you know, when you put together a supergroup, you get an instant fan base of all the fans of the individuals in the group. 
And fans were expecting these guys to to pull out all the stops. Well, it was a prog band, really. Yeah, and so there was criticism that they went too commercial and they didn't really showcase the talent that, that they had, what they were capable of. But if you think about it, Asia, if you look at the way their career went after 1982, they came out with one other album in this vein, and then they went total progressive again. Yeah. So the rest yeah. of their stuff, if you go into the, their mid to late 80s stuff, Mm-hmm. it's all prog again so they went but went back to it they just did this to kind of get a footing and but the decision to go commercial paid off at first the big time and only time will tell i think is a good example of straddling that line between progressive rock and and you know top 40 commercialism it's a well-crafted song a lot of melody layers of keyboards tasty guitar parts and a lot of emotion in the lyrics in terms of production, musicianship, vocals, harmonies, recording quality, sonically, it is flawless. But I do wonder if that pool of talent and ability couldn't have come up with something a little more musically adventurous on that first album. But either way, I doubt the band was complaining about the results. Oh, I kind of liked what the, way, the way they went the first album. Um, uh, John Wetton was saying that Joni Mitchell had a big influence on the first album this album by opening up emotionally while other rock bands really weren't opening up at all Mm -hmm. they were almost being macho and trying to say how many women they've had in bed or whatever so let's take a listen to asia only time will tell alan's number 12 was only time will tell by asia alan's 12 that album by the way i love that album i bought that album album when it came out and i listened to death uh asia i didn't know about the super group i didn't know about this i'm 11 but i remember that album and i love that album well to get a little taste of what their fans may have been expecting check out the uh when wetton was in the band uk they put out a live album called Night After Night. I think it was put out around 1980. Take a listen to that. That gives you a little bit of a taste. It's it's plenty progressive, but it has a commercial side to it, too. Okay. So I'm going to run to my number 12. I remember going over to a friend of mine who was like the musician in the neighborhood. And I was strumming my little Norma guitar at the time. So I was an aspiring musician. And he'd always have like these cool tapes of the music of the time. And he had this cassette by a guy who I really didn't know. And it had a kind of soft sounding title called Emotions in Motion. Hmm. The artist is Billy Squire. Oh, yeah. And the song is Everybody Wants You because it really kind of stood out to me. I love the way that the riff kind of grabs you. The phrasing of the verse coming back to the hook. It's a, a song about life on the road, going from city to city, fans wanting you. But really, it's stardom and the media, they kind of eat you up and you eventually turn to alcohol. You're on top and you lose yourself in the product of you. And you never get away because everybody wants you. This hit number 32 on the Hot 100, but it was number one on the rock charts. Any thoughts on Everybody Wants You, Billy Squire? Uh, Billy Squire had a, a several hits during that time. In the Dark was one of them, and there was another the one. I forget the name. Yeah, The Stroke. Those hits that happened at that time were really popular, and that style of music would really fit for that time. 
So let's listen to Everybody Wants You by Billy Squire, my number 12. That's everybody wants you. My number twelve. Massive kick drum. This place is is reverberating around here. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we play everything through my microphone. That's it. Uh, So the microphone you hear me speak of is what's capturing the room when we play this. So we're not sending a digital signal. So we're not taking something uh, that's theirs and kind of reusing it. We're just kind of playing what's in the room so you can hear it. And it's in the room. It is. So the next song, as I think, has the potential. Of being our first true match, but maybe not. You may have went with one of the other songs off this album because this was a big album for that year. The groove catches me with my number 11. The guitar hits me. The track itself has some background Spanish echoing English words. The song is Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash off a combat rock album. I love the split guitar tracks on the left and the right ear when listening on headphones. It's great. Mick Jones has that great punk English delivery that I love. Straight ahead in the first part, but the Spanish in the second verse and later just fills this song up behind it. And actually, when I was a kid, I didn't know what he was saying behind it. I thought, I mean, I just listened to the other big song by them is Rock the Casbah. So I figured it was some sort of Arabic or something. And it was Spanish. Joe Eli uh, sang the Spanish parts. And he's some singer from Texas that the band found with Joe Strummer. Joe Eli says, he's Texas, so let me talk Texas now. Me and Joe were yelling translation back when Mick Jones sang the lead on it. And we were doing the echo part. And there was one time when the song kind of breaks down into just the drums right before the guitar part. And me and Joe snuck around it in the studio, came up in the back of the booth where it's all partitioned off. And we snuck in and jumped the scared the hell out of the drummer in the middle of recording the song he just looked out at us and said split so we ran back to the vocal booth and never stopped recording and that split is still in there you'll hear split for no reason but that's actually the take from the drummer doing that this is number one in the uk only 45 in the u.s the video for this has concert footage from shea stadium i'm a met fan so it's always kind of special they opened up for the who there but it looks like it's their show on the video, of course. So, any thought on The Clash, or should I stay or should I go? Um, I was in a cover band, and that was one of the songs we covered. And it is a crowd pleaser. Yeah. It's but a, we didn't put the word split in it. I don't remember doing that. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just that one little shot, split. <laughs> but it's, it's a great song. Got a dirty bass line in there, and um, The Clash just played with tons of energy. All right, let's listen to Should I Stay or Should I Go? My uh, number 11, By The Clash. Don't you know which clothes even fit me? Come on and let me know. Should I cool it or should I blow it? Right, that's my 11. That split is in there. I heard it. Yep. <laughs> and I'll make sure that you guys hear that part too. All right. And you'll hear some Spanish and it's all goodness. It's good song. So Alan, what's your number 11? My number 11, the name of the album is Ship Arriving Too Late to Save a Drowning Witch. <laughs> the artist is Frank Zappa. 
and the song is Valley Girl. Frank did this song with his daughter, Moon Unit. The song mocks the language and behavior of teenage girls living in the San Fernando Valley, which is a little bit north of Los Angeles, which, by the way, is where I grew up. So I was there in 82, but I never did make it to the really good part of Encino. Frank's daughter Moon did, though, and being 14 years old at the time, she was quite familiar with the so-called Valley Girls. And she just nails the stereotype. And Frank uh, doing the narration. My favorite line is, tosses her head and flips her hair. She's got a whole bunch of nothing in there. (laughs) Musically, the song is nothing to write home about, but there is a dirty, edgy bass guitar through the whole song that's pretty cool. There you are, Frank Zappa in the top 40, only time ever. In Cream Magazine, Moon was interviewed. She was 14 at the time. And... You know, this is something a 14-year-old would say. It's not appropriate, but it's what a 14-year-old would say. I don't want to be recognized, <laughs> but I feel I feel like Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I feel <laughs> like I know what it's like to be a handicapped person now. You know, when you go by somebody in a wheelchair and you kind of stay away, that's how I feel now. Because everybody knows I'm the Valley Girl. <laughs> so overemphasizing the situation from a 14-year-old. Yeah, I think even then at that age, she was had some pretty advanced sense of humor going on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, let's listen to Valley Girl by Frank Zappa. And let's number 11. I really love the sides there. And I think his daughter makes the song. I, oh, absolutely. I think, I think if it absolutely. wasn't for her. Like, oh my God. Can you she, believe she it? Is, she's definitely her, her father's daughter. Oh, it's yeah. Rest in peace, Frank. Yeah. But I see my daughter in that a little bit. Not so much oh, the accent. Oh, my, you know, nothing like that. But it's like, Dad, I got to go. I want to go to the store. I want to go to the gallery. I want to go. Yeah. yeah. For sure. For sure. For sure. All right, Alan, what do you have at number 10, my friend? Number 10, Eye of the Tiger, My Survivor. What? I haven't heard of that song. The name of the album is Eye of the Tiger and the song. It's their third studio album. According to guitarist, keyboardist Peterick, the story goes that Sylvester Stallone had heard the earlier Survivor song, Poor Man's Son, and liked it so much that he contacted Peterick about doing the theme song to Stallone's new movie, Rocky Three. And the song title comes from a line spoken by Carl Weathers' character in the movie. The song was number one for six weeks, and it prevented two other songs on my list from reaching number one that would have otherwise. I bought the Rocky Three soundtrack, and I probably have it behind you. That song was so huge, right? And actually, when they first submitted it, Stallone came back to the group and said, hey, I like it, really like it, but give me a mix with louder drums and write a new third verse instead of repeating the first verse. Yeah. A lot of musicians would take offense to having an actor tell them how to do a song, but Peterick said Stallone has a good ear for the hook. He's a genius with dialogue, and songs are nothing more than dialogue set to music as far as I'm concerned. I think it's a solid song. It is. It's a great song. It's connection with the Rocky Movie brand, which was incredibly popular, just put it way over the top. The song has been ubiquitous in our society ever since its release. 
in my opinion, it's one of the most overplayed songs in the history of pop radio. But it's still a good song, and it has, has become a fixture in pop culture. Yeah. Let's listen to Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, which is Alan's number 10. good song that was one that just skirted my list believe it or not there was there were so many good songs this year that one was just on the fringe i think it was probably my number 13 i felt as if it was such an iconic part of pop culture that it needed to be on the list oh yeah no i i understand why you would put it on there Uh, to your point billboard had this song as number one for the entire year for 1982 wow and I don't think you'll have my number 10 on your list. My number 10 is definitely a one-hit wonder from the 80s. But I like his one-of-a-kind tone and delivery. It's done by somebody who did audio work on Foreigner 4 and Pyromania. He did some engineering work. And he used a different name on Pyromania. Because he didn't want to confuse people who follow him. Because it's not the genre he's in. The song is called She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby. Uh. really like the beat and the sound of the Moog. He plays with a Moog synthesizer. I love the theatric notes right before they go, Science! In there, it's a quirky song I've always loved. And I guess it's the geeky edge of music that I, that I really sort of embraced. Dolby wrote this song so that he could direct a music video using a silent movie motif. That's really what he wanted to do. It's kind of a frivolous song, right? He says it's the most frivolous he's ever written. It's about a scientist who falls in love with his lab assistant. He goes, when I play it now, I get a big kick out of it. I mean, I'm perfectly proud of the song. And it's a great groove loaded with hooks. And when I play it, it's iconic, I think, for many people. Especially people who are around the first time. It makes those people happy. I have no regrets over it. I think my music provided a starting point for people to get into the more serious, more personal aspects of my music. Because he ended up moving on to be a very quirky but deep sort of artist mm-hmm. who was not looking for pop hits. He was right. looking for his audience, much in the same way progressive music tends to do. Right. It really isn't progressive music. It's this weird sort of space that he's in. This hit number five in the Hot 100. The speaking parts of this song were done by Magnus Pike, who in the U.S. we really don't know, but he's a famous TV show host for children's education in the UK, much like Nye the science guy would be here. Okay. Okay. And his trademark was yelling science throughout the show. So the people in the UK would automatically realize it. But he thought it was funny that most Americans had no idea. And before doing research, didn't actually realize that that's who that was. Mm. And if you see the video, it's pretty neat. It's a little crazy. He goes, lays down on a couch. He goes to this home for wayward scientists or something like that. It's this whole... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's my number 10, She Blinded Me With Science, a song I just truly love. It's the geek in me. So let's listen to She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby off of the Golden Age of Wireless album, my number 10. She blinded me with science. Oh, my God. 
Madonna. Science. <laughs> love it. I just love it. <laughs> All right. Let's journey on down to another British band. My number nine. They turned my number nine song into a UK big stage play. Really? That celebrated their music. And it was very popular. This is their biggest hit in America for sure. It hit number seven in the Hot 100. This band was originally known as the Invaders, but they changed to Madness. My song is Our House by Madness, off of their Madness album, I guess. It's got a great beat, almost like the Kinks, You Really Got Me, where the snare and drum lands in this space. All of the parts are there. It, it almost sounds like a perfect sort of pop song. I've seen it in a couple commercials for various things mm -hmm. nowadays. This one always hit me as... Just a family song. Our house in the middle of our street really just hits me. And when I heard this song, I had to play it. So any thoughts on Our House? Well, if it's the song that I'm thinking of, yeah, it's a great song. With a lot of melody in it. Yeah. You know? it's, just, it's a catchy tune. Yeah, it's immediately, it grabs you and whatever you see it in, it's fantastic. So let's listen to my number nine, Our House by Madness, off of their self-titled album. Brothers got to make to keep the cotton around listening and I'm really understand why I love the song if you realize I'm 11 years old when the song came out this is a song I can relate to this is my house mm -hmm. in the middle of my street my family my father does this my mother does that all of this stuff that's happening with the family that's the life that I'm in at 11 <laughs> and the bouncy groove of the song just kind of underscores that oh whole, it's great and they have the that little westernish sort yeah. of feel to the guitar solo and it's just yeah it's kind of fun it is it's a fun song all right so what do you have at number nine my friend number nine is by a band called duran duran the album is rio their second studio album reached number six on the billboard album chart eventually went double platinum the song is hungry like the wolf it's on my list too Charted at number three on Billboard. The video on a Grammy for Best Short Form Music Video. And the song is about a guy on the prowl for some female companionship. And the video features this sexy, animalistic jungle girl who looks like she would fit the bill quite nicely if only he could catch her up with her cavorting through the jungle, which he finally does. Uh, musically, in a lot of ways, this is the typical new wave, 80s, echoey, keyboard-driven pop song. Catchy tune, well-produced, a lot of melody, quirky keyboard sounds, uh, vocal harmonies and melodies abound, uh, a healthy dose of sexual innuendo, and no power chords allowed. That is a no-no in 80s pop music. Well, actually, there's, you know, there's some big guitar in the beginning of this song. There is. Yeah, so it's like there's power chords in there. But, I think. but your uh, you know, your typical yeah, yeah. classic rock power chord you're not gonna find in there. Yeah. Uh back in my club days I remember dancing with my claws out. It's really embarrassing actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh I actually uh when I was listening to this in the car, I had my daughter kinda learn the little dance with the hungry like the wolf. <laughs> 
it, for me, it's the penultimate Duran Duran song. Absolutely. I, the Absolutely. laugh into the hook, which is uh, one of the girlfriends of the band who does the laugh. And even the do-do-do-do's work, right? Simon LeBond's voice is so clear and precise. The chorus is great, and it ramps up to Hungry Like the Wolf, highlighted by that drum fill and that synth sweep into it. This is their breakthrough hit, as we said before, inspired by Little Red Riding Hood, of course. And the video was hugely popular. And there's a great story to go with it. The night before the shoot in uh, Sri Lanka, right. uh, LeBond went to a stylist to get blonde highlights for his hair, but she botched the job, and his hair turned orange. That's why he's wearing a hat in the video. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of showing his quaff, I thought that was very funny. Yeah, why not just go with the orange, you know? Yeah, my wife is a massive Duran Duran fan. And this was always the song because of the guitar that we both liked. There's some really tasty guitar parts in this song, absolutely. Yeah. This is on my list as well. Let's listen to Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran off the Rio album, Alan's number nine. so good i love all of the special effects and the drama the drama that takes part in that song mm -hmm. later on and as it goes to the back half of that song where there's the ma in the background and there's this whole theatrics going on yeah you need to be the watching song. the video and then listening yeah. at the same time yeah. yeah that's great so great tune a little bit too low on your list but that's okay well that's your opinion <laughs> no it's just correct <laughs> All right. So that was number nine, Hungry Like the Wolf. Alan, what's your number eight? Okay. My number eight, I am a fan of this song as much as the band that plays it. It's from Van Halen's fifth studio album, Diver Down. It is a cover of the old Roy Orbison song, Oh Pretty Woman. Originally released by Roy in 1964, everyone knows this song. Roy's guitar hook is unmistakable, and the chord progressions that Roy wrote in the bridge are absolutely brilliant, in my opinion. With the Van Halen version, I gotta give Van Halen props. Of course, they put their own stamp on the song, you expect that. But they did it in a way that kept the song the classic song that it is, in my opinion. They do it in the perfect tempo, steady driving groove from Alex Van Halen on drums, nice harmony vocals in the choruses and the bridge. Of course, Eddie's guitar playing is something Roy couldn't even dream about. But when this version of the song comes on, you recognize that hook and who it is that's playing it as soon as you hear it. And that recognition factor was huge in making this song a hit for, for Van Halen. The question in my mind, though, you know, as I was going over this was did they do the song justice did they show respect for the original and i think they did the funny thing is the back story on the song they were coming off of the fan warning tour and they were on tour forever they're like we need a break we don't want to do it and it's like just let's let's just record a cover right. and it happened to be all pretty woman just to fill the space until we put our next album out which would be 1984 and this hit the radio stations and became so successful. The studio came in and said, listen, do an album of covers. That's what they did. The success of this song created Diver Down. Yeah. There would be no Diver Down. I agree. The video, which you didn't really talk about much, for me was really one of the most edgy videos on MTV at the time. Starts, you see this woman tied to a pole. And these midgets are dancing around this woman. The woman ends up being a transvestite. At the end, they pull the wig off, and it's sort of like crying game, surprise sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that each of their personalities comes back 
into the character they portrayed in the video. Michael Anthony is a samurai warrior. Alex Van Halen is Tarzan. Uh, Van he Halen does the Tarzan cowboy. yell and everything. Yeah, and Eddie Van Halen's a cowboy, which makes sense because he's a gunslinger. You know, he's a he's guitar a, player. He's a guitar slinger. And David Lee Roth is dressed as somebody who represents him, which is Napoleon. <laughs> That's great. Actually, MTV aired this sparingly because they were worried about it being too controversial, especially early on with MTV. They were in the Midwest quite a bit, in the heartland before they came mm -hmm. to the coast. And they really were worried about this uh, scaring off cable companies sure. uh, to not carry their sure. channel. But good tune, Van Halen, Diver Down, Pretty yeah. Woman. The, the song itself, you know, it, regardless of who performs it, has stood the test of time for decades and stands on its own. Let's merit. listen to Oh Pretty Woman. Oh Pretty Woman. That that that's the way he that's a rope Alberson. That's the way Roy says it. Yeah. Oh Pretty Woman. <laughs> or maybe that's Colonel Sanders. I, I kinda of put them in the, <laughs> I kinda of put them in the same Oh Pretty Chicken. Oh Pretty Chicken. All right, let's listen to Oh Pretty Woman. Number eight on Alan's list by Van it's definitely a good tune. It didn't make my list, but it was a, a good tune. So let's move to my number eight. Okay. <sighs> An uh, album I remember, I had it on vinyl, and who knows where it is now? I don't have it for whatever reason. During the grunge era, I probably sold it. I sold a lot of records for cassettes mm -hmm. and CDs in the 90s. It's so funny that vinyl is what I'll buy now. That's probably the only medium I buy if I buy anything. Uh, usually used, but I can find it at wherever, right? Barnes & Noble has a good selection, actually. As weird as that is. Of used vinyl? No, of real vinyl. Of oh. new vinyl. Oh, okay. uh, Like some of the newer ones are really cool because they're audiophile. They're like heavyweight. Like calf speed masters and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. it's good. And there's even some 45 masters and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. It's really good. But anyway, I remember this album. I had it on vinyl. This and Stained Class were always my two favorite albums from this band, which is Judas Priest, obviously. Yeah. And Screaming for Vengeance. You Got Another Thing Coming is the song I'm going with. Yeah, I love the driving beat and the guitar, the chords for the emphasis and the verse. Love it. The pre just leads to an iconic chorus. The only slight blight on this song is just kind of an okay bridge when the rest of the song is so exceptional. Uh, this is obviously their biggest hit in the U.S. It hit number four on the rock chart. This is the only pre-song ever to hit the Hot 100 at all. And it hit uh, yeah. 67 on the Hot 100, which is a pop thing to have... Judas Priest in a pop category at all is just shocking to me. Right. This song was thrown together, as a lot of them have been. It's just amazing at how many times that I'm talking about the biggest hits for bands. And it's that last song they threw together at the last minute for the album. This band put it at track eight on the album, mm -hmm. where songs are generally buried. Right. Uh, thinking it was just a filler track. But, whoa, U.S. radio stations started playing it. And the next thing you know, it's their biggest hit ever in the U.S. They asked Rob Halford... 
if he had any idea this track would be a big staple for their set in years to come. He's like, no, no, we had no idea. I think that when we buried it, we were putting the track list, listing together and we knew we loved the song. We love the groove. Even now when it comes on, it's just this amazing rhythm that jumps your system right away. KK Downing, the guitarist, he remembers Tom Allen saying, how do we miss it? I don't know. You can just imagine putting this on with the car, the sun shining, and blasting down a freeway. And Rob Halford says, that's it. And we all agreed. It has the elements of a driving song. Yes. There's no doubt that kind of beaten tempo when you're driving and you're just going 30 miles an hour and then you hear the dun, dun, you hear that intro, you'll be compelled to accelerate. And next thing you know, you're doing 80 or 90. On the top of that, give you a happy, carefree feeling that's so so undeniable and it's everything that america seems to revolve around is getting in the car and blasting music especially at the time the video for this is really weird they're at some sort of either power plant or water treatment plant and there's this one guy who just like walks around and walks through it while the band starts playing near it outside and it's just a straight performance and then i guess it's a nuclear let's call it a nuclear power plant and he has this Geiger counter, and it was going off, and it's going off, and he walks, and the band's there. And the Geiger counter's going off, obviously, because the band is radioactively so hot. hot. They're radioactive. And then Rob Halford looks over him and stares. And then, <laughs> literally, his head explodes. Yes. And, and he collapses to the ground. Yes. I was like, this is just such a bizarre video. But I tell you what, this is just such a good song off this album. And, and, and I love this album, so I had to put the most iconic song out of there that people would know and that's this one for sure i'm glad you picked this song and this album judas priest is one of my favorite metal bands i've seen them twice and they just put on an excellent show yeah the only reason this song didn't make my list i think is because it's a driving song and because it's a driving song there's an element of monotony of repetitiveness to it but i love the song and i love the album and i love the band so i'm really glad you picked this song okay that's it we'll listen to my number eight You've Got Another Thing Coming by Judas Priest off of Screaming for Vengeance. 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 Mm. What is this vengeance you talk of? Mm. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> that's my really, really bad Yoda impression. <laughs> I, thought was, I thought it was Apu from The Simpsons, actually. That is not, the, that is not the, Apu. The Indian store <laughs> owner guy. Yes. Would you like a Coke slushy or a red or brown slushy? I tell Homer, I said Homer. Just, just don't give me the chutney. Just stay. I Some chutneys. Stay away from oh, that. you you don't know what love is <laughs> until you've had a chutney slushy. Oh, it's so wonderful. That's what I always tell the Simpsons. That's my best Abu. Anyway, uh, Abu. Sorry, it's not Abu. Abu is the the guy from Aladdin, the the monkey. Right. Abu right. is from Abu is, is from the Simpsons. The, the Quickie Mart guy. Yeah, the Quickie Mart. Oh, I love the Quickie Mart. It is so nice. I I love, I miss the Quickie Mart. Why did they fire me? I remember that episode. It was so good. Anyway, complete sidebar. Yeah. I completely sidebar this Judas he's, Priest song. He's hilarious. All right. Anyway, let's listen. You got nothing coming? Judas Priest, Screaming for Vengeance, my number eight. That's You Got Another Thing Coming by Judas Priest. Mind a break. So, 
great tune. I just I just get so moving just by listening to that. It's just so fantastic. They are a great live band. I have not seen them live. So when you saw them live, was this before Screaming for Vengeance or was this after? I believe it, it was either that tour or the one before that. Okay. It might have been the British Steel tour, British which Steel, I yeah. think was before that. Right, right. I was just kind of curious how that went over live. I'm but sure it Alfred went Alfred rides a Harley onto the stage. and, and, and I think he still does that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, they just, they kick ass. Yeah, they, they just, they really do. They're great. Now, from one heavy metal band to another. Now, this is completely the opposite of heavy metal. My number seven, this is a folk band. Oh. This is one of those songs that I loved as well. I remember the next song on a custom tape that you used to be able to purchase from Sam Goody. Do you remember that? And you used to go into Sam Goody and they had this massive machine that you could pick the songs that you wanted and wait like 20 minutes (laughs) and they would give it to you with all the songs you wanted. Yes, yes. And I selected this song on there and I remember it. I always thought this was a classic song at the time. I remember loving the tune. When I was exposed to acoustic playing with friends, I learned it and loved it. And we used to sing along at the fire. The name of the song is Southern Cross by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Great song. Which I just, I couldn't believe. It's another one of these ones. I'm like, how could that be a song in the 80s? But I loved it. I learned it in the 80s. Yeah. It's a great tune. The harmonies coupled with my family's move to the American South, to Mississippi. That kind of Southern Cross always kind of made me think of the Bible Belt for some reason. Mm -hmm. So even though it's astrological. It's a constellation. Constellation, yeah. When you go sailing, you can always find the Southern Cross because they're the biggest, brightest stars. Right. It's known as the Crux constellation, which can be viewed by the Southern Hemisphere pretty much. And it's the four stars in the constellation to form that cross pattern. Right. The song was written by Stephen Stills with help from some other writers. Stills explains that Curtis Brothers, who are the other writers, brought this wonderful song called Seven League Boots. It drifted around way too much. So I rewrote it with a new set of words, a different chorus, and a story about a long boat trip I took after my divorce. And once again, I was given somebody's gem. I cut and polished it. Yeah. One of the interesting things, one of the background singers on this song is Art Garfunkel. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. I love some of the lines in here. We never failed to fail. It was the easiest thing to do. Who knows love can endure, and you know it will. A lot of that stuff is just amazing. The writing that Stills did to the old song and the mm-hmm. changes he made to it are just fantastic. And it's just one of these tunes that just I, I'm in love with. I, if you can't feel that through the, the microphone, this is a song I love. Any thoughts on the song? I am a big fan of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. They've mm-hmm. come up with some really great stuff over the years. They were able to write their own ticket in a way that if they wrote a new song, they'd go into the studio, have it recorded, and have it released in a matter of a week or two and on the radio. That's, that's the kind and of they thing. may not even remember recording it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's listen to my number seven, Southern Cross by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Off of Daylight Again, my number seven. That's a great tune. Love it. Yes. Great harmonies by those guys. Well, that's always the case. I mean, that's the, the staple for them, really. It's Absolutely. A, yeah. So what's your number seven? My number seven It's by a band called Huey Lewis and the News. The song is Do You Believe in Love? 
It's from the album Picture This. It reached number seven on the Billboard chart. I love the video. There's this girl in bed trying to sleep, and all of a sudden there's a rock band in her bedroom with her, singing to her and bothering her. Getting in bed with her. Everybody's fully clothed, of course. Finally, she gets up in the morning and tries to have coffee in the kitchen, and they follow her into the kitchen, and they're serenading her in there, too. I would have called the cops if I was her. Maybe they weren't always clothed. You never know. (laughs) The video's really corny. Yes, it is. Pushing each other out of the way to get camera time and stuff like that. But the song is just good time rock and roll. A really good dance groove, nice melodic chord progression, and there's these cool guitar answer back phrases to vocals, and a really nice sax solo. But in my opinion, what really makes this song are the vocals. These guys are spot on on their harmonies all through the song. This is Eagles Fleetwood Mac quality harmony stuff. And this was before the days of Pro Tools and digital audio editing. You can clearly hear each harmony, each interval production and mixing are stellar. This is a sonic clinic on what well-performed, well-recorded, and well-mixed vocals should sound like. And you know why that is? It's because the person who recorded it is somebody who we've talked about before on this podcast. On the Def Leppard podcast, Mutt Lang uh-huh. is the person behind this track. Back when Huey Lewis and the News was called Clover, this is one of the first bands for this new producer, Mutt Lang. And he tried to give them a couple hits, and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So later, after their first album flopped this Huey Lewis and the News, this is their second album coming out, Picture This, Mutt Lang was back in the picture, and they were kind of hesitant, because when the label suggested they do Do You Believe in Love, which was written by Mutt Lang, the band was not thrilled at the idea, because they'd worked before with him, and it didn't work out. Why would they record another one of his songs? Mm-hmm. And they did it. Obviously, it sounded great. Another win for Mutt Lang in his build-up to superstar status. Right. Good tune. Do you believe in love? A little soft for me. I like Huey, though, quite a bit. So let's listen to Allen's number seven, Do You Believe in Love, off of Picture This by Huey Lewis and the News. I want to love you all over. I like the sax solo, but it's really missing the space for the guitar to really shine. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. they, they, you know, I think they played it safe with the sax solo. I think, yeah. you know, guitar, maybe have like a sax guitar harmony solo or something. You know? <laughs> Alan, what's your number six? My number six, we are going to revisit The Clash right now. This is from combat rock the song is rock the casbah mm-hmm. the clash have been around for a while by 82 they sort of have one foot in the punk scene and the other in the new wave scene their music is generally raw and forceful but the band has a great sense of melody and rhythm there are actually two versions of rock the casbah the shorter radio mix we're all familiar with and an extended six and a half minute album version that is quite different and features an abundance of driving percussion that make it a great dance song with a nice bouncy groove. The hook is very catchy and you won't soon forget it after hearing the song. It's repetitive, but not annoyingly so. 
I think it's a simple combination of good rhythm and good melody that makes this song so appealing. Joe Strummer's lead vocal quality isn't anything to write home about, but the melody of the vocal in the chorus will be stuck in your head long after the song ends. An upbeat, catchy, bouncy song that is very listenable to this day. It's interesting that Topper Hedden, who was the drummer, wrote this song. At first, he had really pornographic lyrics for the song. <laughs> As Joe Strummer would say, he had really pornographic lyrics, if I can remember correctly. Very, very pornographic lyrics. So he did an extensive rewrite. I looked at the lyrics I've written, and for some reason I started to think about what someone told me earlier, that you get lashed for owning a disco album in Iran, which really served the rest of the lyrics, people defying an Arab ruler, Sharif, on the disco music and rocking the Casbah. This was The Clash's biggest hit in the United States because of Operation Desert Storm, Joe Stummer was irate with the misunderstanding that it was anti-Iraqi in sentiment. At the time, that's what you had to think it was about. The sad irony about the song is that Hedden, who wrote it, he banged down the drum track, then he ran over the piano, and then he played the bass. He, he was really kind of pushing this. This was his baby. And right before it hit, he got canned for being a, a drug user. Wow. In the, in the clash of all places, right? <laughs> But, you know, at a certain point, it it affects your playing. Well, that's very true. Yeah, absolutely. So let's listen to The Clash. We will listen to The Clash in the Rockin' It Casbah, which is Alan's number six. I love the percussion at later on into the song when they have this breakdown. Yeah. And it lets the drums just kind of shine. Oh, so good. And you can tell it was written by a drummer, I guess. But <laughs> it's great. It's just a great tune. All right. Uh, so my number six is off an album that you discussed, since your number six was off an album I discussed. All right. By a super group, as you mentioned before, by Asia, off Asia. Uh, my love of the growl of the guitar on this song. And it's just such a good song, Heat of the Moment. I remember listening to this, and it was just so amazing for me as an 11-year-old. <laughs> I just loved it. The way the song starts in the first verse with just the hi-hat and the guitar only. and the second verse, the drums kind of thunder in the background. And the arpeggios and the chorus, coupled with the harmonies yeah. and the keys, they just work great. A pure instrumental break, which is not like a solo or anything in the first bridge. You're kind of expecting a solo, but it never really comes. And it comes to after the second chorus, the next chorus later on. And Steve Howe, of course, does a great job. This is written about Wetton's girlfriend, Jill, who he would actually marry and then divorce 10 years after that. Of course. <laughs> the whole song is just an apology. Just saying, I messed up. I hold my hands out and said, I got it wrong. I never meant it to be like that. And it just was like that. And I'm so sorry. Jeff Downs, the keyboard player, said the chorus ended up in a different time signature than the one that ended up the recording. It was almost a country song. And you can almost hear the chorus of the song play like a country song if you take it apart. When you start listening to the way it's designed. And once again, last song. This was the last song recorded on the album. Hmm. And it ended up being the first single again. Yeah. You know, I think um, if you listen to any of the songs on this album without any preconceived expectations of you know the groups that the guys were in before sure, sure. you're not going to be disappointed no it's a great album and all the songs are good 
they're good songwriters. They're good players. You know, it's and Heat of the Moment is a great song. Great tune, thunderous guitar for me. It was appropriate to me at the time. You know, now I find myself in '82 and all this stuff. It just it felt really good, and I love those big open chords. Yeah. So I am a sucker for the open chords. And, and John Witten as a bass player was the bass player who who got me playing with a pick. Oh, I good. was a fingerstyle player before that, but the sound he was getting with UK and with Asia playing with the pick convinced me that I needed to pick up a pick and there you go. develop that aspect of my playing. That's cool. So let's listen to Heat of the Moment off of Asia's self-titled first album. I want to keep listening, but I won't. Great song. That's great tune. My number six. Heat of the moment. Still remembered as a kid. Now, my number five. This is one of those songs that's been redone by bands such as Weezer. A Leo Morshelli, which is my favorite song by him. He's this guy on YouTube who plays metal versions of songs. Oh, I think <laughs> I've seen that guy. Yeah. This is by a band that played behind so many other bands. The band is Toto. And this is off of Toto 4, one of their best albums, if not their best album. And the song that is just so huge, there's two huge ones on this album. My guess is you're going to pick the other one. And mine is going to be Africa. Uh, the percussion in the intro before the keys come in is just amazing. This has always been my favorite Toto song. It has a story and it kind of pulls you in. Take a listen to Leo Murchelli's version of this. It's so good. It really is. So check that out. It's, it's Frog Leap Studios. You can probably search for that in Africa on YouTube and you'll find it. And I'll put a link to it somewhere. There's just a little bit too much keys on this, though. But I, I wish that Luke hit the guitar a little bit harder on this song. He plays clean underneath, but there's really no solo. He digs in a little bit more after the key solo. Lukather actually said, I thought that was the worst song on the album during, at the time. It didn't fit. The lyrics made no sense. And I swore that if that was a hit record, I'd run naked around Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> and he goes, that's how good I am at picking singles. <laughs> he loves the song now, but he's he says it's really crazy. No matter where he goes in the world, people know that song. I mean, he was in Indonesia and they knew that song. <laughs> and it's just a song that him and Dave wrote in his living room. So Africa is my number five. I like this song so much that I taught myself the bass line. It's just one of those songs that there is this comfortable groove that you can settle into when you're playing it and it's just soothing it's it's just it's fun to play and it's very musically rewarding mm -hmm. the bass line is is simple it's easy but getting it right is not as easy as it sounds and when you do it really feels good yeah no it's a uh, all the musicianship in the song is fantastic so yeah this whole band obviously are some of the best studio players in the world so absolutely you can imagine that, that they're pretty good so let's listen to my number five, Africa by Toto off of Toto 4. Let's listen. <laughs> that's my number five africa from toto so, great song yeah it is so alan what's your number five 
My number five is by a band called The Scorpions. The song is No One Like You. Nice. It's on my list. From the Blackout album. That's our eighth studio album. Uh, they've, they've, their first studio album was released in 1972. Rudolf Schenker is the only continuous member of the band since its inception. Even though they've been around so long, this song was the one that broke them in America. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Blackout was certified gold and platinum two years later. Number 73 on Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Metal Albums of All Time. As a band, the Scorpions have sold over 110 million records worldwide. And you don't have the kind of success they've had over the years without good songwriting and a strong sense of natural melody. And the song No One Like You is a great example. It is packed with melody. And to your point, Matthias Jabs, when he was interviewed, he said, we play a very melodic kind of rock to your point yeah when you listen to things like no one like you you can hear how it comes from the guitar melody some songs are good for the fingers but don't mean anything after that it's important to remember that even the fast stuff needs to have melody lead should make the songs continue and if possible lift things up a bit it doesn't always work but it can sometimes even though you might not think so it's yes it's crunchy guitar melody and wailing vocals melody but it works and the song rocks Matthias Jabs. Yep. He is one amazing guitar player, and his solos in this song are the classic stick in your mind solos that become so much an integral part of the song that if you heard the song with different solos, it just wouldn't be right. When I hear this song, I think of Les Pauls and Marshall Stacks. And those Marshall Stacks make the guitar sing. The lead right off the bat with that good crunch underneath. Once the verse starts with the clean arpeggiated chords with Klaus singing over the top. And then the chorus with that thunderous guitar. It's so catchy. I remember listening to this in the 80s and this song just brought me back when I was going through it. In fact, Rockers and Ballad, one of these compilation albums by Scorpions, lived in my CD changer for years. Mm -hmm. So it was always something I constantly listened to. As I said, Breakout in America, the video was shot in San Francisco, featured Alcatraz and Claws Miney getting executed. But not for real. No, not for real. He's still alive. Klaus Miney had this cool quote. It was around the same time MTV started, as I said. I remember Rudolph calling me in the middle of the night at some place, I think it was Fort Wayne, Indiana, and saying, You have to watch channel 2555. It's called MTV. They play videos around the clock. It's amazing. <laughs> it was so new, and it had such heavy airplay that we released No One Like You in a video. <laughs> I almost went into some Japanese thing out there. I lost my German accent, and I'm German. What the heck? Yeah, you better do a German accent, right? <laughs> we have ways of making the Scorpions win these lists. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let's listen to their Scorpions on number five on Alan's list, No One Like You. So let's listen. Pains me to stop right there. <laughs> I love it how in the verses there's a clean tone guitar and the pre-chorus a dirty tone guitar comes in along with the clean tone, and then when they hit the chorus, it's all dirty guitar. It's just that progression. It really makes, yeah, it really no, helps it's the song. It's, it's fantastic. All right, so what's your number four? 
My number four is by a band called The Stray Cats. Nice. Rock This Town. Stray Cats are a rockabilly band from Long Island, New York. They're a three-piece guitar, bass, and drums, which is really all you need to do rock and roll. Uh, The album is built for speed. Uh, Rock This Town, the song peaked at number nine on the charts. Named by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. This is a great example of a good time fun rock and roll song about a guy and his girl out in the town on a Saturday night. The first place they stop into only plays disco music, so they bail out of there quick and end up in a rock club. But there's a square cat dude who's stuck in 1974 looking for a fight, shooting the stink eye at our hero, who threatens to engage, but the threat actually seems good-natured as he's just having a good time dancing with his girl. No profound truth or insights into the meaning of life. No political provocations. Just good time rock and roll. Played masterfully by Brian Setzer and company. These guys were a three-piece. They didn't need anybody else. They were great as is. Stray Cats was one of the funner bands of the 1980s. I remember uh, I used to play in a jazz band. Well, not in a jazz band particularly, but in high school I played in jazz band. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Everybody which, does which, that is, in high yeah, which is a little different uh, but we used to hang out and play afterward and this song in particular uh, the girl I was dating at the time loved and the Stray Cat Strut is the other song on this album that was also pretty huge Yeah, those are the two real big ones uh, and I always just loved it it's a fun rockabilly song I kind of like rockabilly so great tune we said covered most of it so let's listen to Alan's number four Rock This Town by the Stray Cats I always love those clean guitars. Yeah. You know, he has a wide body Gibson probably Mm -hmm. or a Gretsch or whatever he's playing. You can totally just hear the amp, clean amp. With the little tremolo and a little reverb. It's got that sort of that real cool vibe. I really always dig that. I agree. Didn't make my list, but it was a great number four. My number four is back from a podcast. We did an episode five. Well, not you and I, but mm. episode five. The artist is John Mellencamp, and he had a great album that year. It's called American Fool. And his biggest song that I can think of in his career. It's his only number one Hot 100 hit. Jack and Diane is the song I went with. It's just such an iconic song. Oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. I love the story within the lyrics. The piano offsetting the guitar is just brilliant. I love the acoustic sound in the verse. It's a song about a high school couple really falling in love. This was actually supposed to be a interracial couple but John changed it due to the pressure from the record company at the time. They filmed the video without a dime from hmm. the, the label to do it. The label really didn't believe in it, and they were filming one of the other songs on the album, and Mellencamp asked a favor from the film crew. He's like, look, there's a song on the album the label doesn't love, but I love. Can you do me a favor and save one roll of film? Shoot me singing the song, and I'll give you some old photos and stuff. And just put something together for me. The guy did it. Paul Flattery at the production company. Stole some editing time. Projected the slides on an edit room wall. Had the tape up, wear white gloves, and do some clapping. And we didn't charge John $1. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's just a little sidebar. I believe he got money for the other videos, I'm sure. But he kind of did that for goodwill with him. So. Mm-hmm. Great tune. Absolutely. I am more partial to Hurt So Good on yeah, the same yeah, yeah. album. Good song. If somebody asked me what music would you say represents Americana the best, I would have to say John Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just, he writes from that standpoint of, you know, being a small town guy who's out there working, working stiff along with everybody else. You know, he's, he's, he relates to everyday Americans. Yeah, I think if, if I was putting together like an ultimate kind of be Willie Nelson... Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp. Yeah, those are the three. So anyway, let's listen to Jack and Diane, my number four of 1982. Oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Okay, that's my number four. Jack and Diane. I love the mixture of the piano and the acoustic guitar together. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying great. before. I'm the way they're the voiced, voiced together. Just, yeah, 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 it's perfect. Yeah, like, it fills that space. It's great. And my number three is easy to, easy to do because it's a song you've already done. My number three is Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran. I just love this tune, and we talked about it before. So what's your number three? My number three is a song we've talked about before on another podcast. It's by Rush. Okay. Yeah, this is the song I thought it was going to be, but it's... The song is Subdivisions. It was released as a single, charted at number five on Billboard. It's from the album Signals, which is the follow-up to their hugely successful Moving Pictures album released the year before. But this album takes a little bit of different tack towards a more keyboard-driven sound. Um, And bassist, keyboardist, vocalist... Getty Lee shows off some really nice melodic keyboard textures in this song that set the mood for the suburban angst of youth. But not to be outdone by a mere mortal keyboard player in the solo bridge, guitarist Alec Lifeson delivers a perfect guitar solo that elevates the song to another level. That's the only way you know he's there in this song, by the way. (laughs) Getty's, Getty's bass chops are amazing as usual, and the lush keyboard strings take the song home. Lyrically, the song is... An uncomfortable picture of socially awkward teenage life in the suburbs. Moody, melodic, and slightly melancholy. This song works on multiple levels, and it's just plain pleasing to the ear. Rush at their 1982 best. Yeah, this is the whole story behind this, as anything I may have mentioned when we did the Rush podcast, is that this was kind of me in the 80s. This is this whole suburbia, hanging out at the mall, all this stuff. It's like all the pressure from teenage life and some of the best lyrics in their catalog, I think. Agreed. It has a great rhythm and the pace of the song works. It's pretty much how narrow-minded and judgmental people can be when they're confined to a group. If you want to check out or learn a little bit more about Rush or this song kind of fires you up about Rush, check out episode 28 which mm-hmm. is on the podcast. You can just go look at that. So let's listen to Subdivisions, Alan's number three. Subdivisions. Now a great tune, man. 
The first line of the third verse goes, Drawn like moths, we drift into the city. The timeless old attraction, cruising for the action. The way he writes lyrics, it just paints pictures in your mind's eye. Yeah, Neil's great. You can see going to Hollywood with my friends when I was like 18 years old at high school on a Friday night just to see what kind of trouble we could get into. That's what I think of when I hear that line. It just puts that picture right into my mind. Yeah, no doubt. What's your number two? All right, this is a big one. My number two is from Michael Jackson's Thriller album, the biggest selling album of all time, with sales of 66 million copies worldwide, certified 33 times platinum, won eight Grammys, number one album on Billboard for 37 weeks. This wasn't just an album, it was a phenomenon. My number two is Beat It, number one on Billboard for three weeks, won two Grammys, two American Music Awards, and as of 2018, digital sales stand at $4 million. The song features guitarist Eddie Van Halen, who does the solo, and Steve Lukather of Toto, who came up with the signature guitar riff for the song during the recording session. Steve Picaro played synth on this, and Jeff Picaro also played drums, so it's pretty much right. most of Toto is on this album. Right. And the guitar riff constantly repeats through all the choruses and the chorus chord passages in the song, but it doesn't wear itself out. It defines the song, it drives the song, and then it sticks in your head for days afterwards. The syncopated rhythm of the verses strikes me as kind of a James Brown meets Quincy Jones thing. Really nice. The strings set the mood, but there's no more there instrumentally than what's absolutely necessary. Eddie's guitar solo kicks ass. The song has a great dance groove to it, and so it's a win in all areas. And Weird Al did a version of it, too. That's, so that's what I'm getting to. In this new MTV age in 1982, one of the ways you knew your song was a major hit is when Weird Al Yankovic does a parody video of it. And this one is titled Eat It. Yeah. Check it out on YouTube. It's hilarious. At least as entertaining as a song video, I think. Yeah, it's done in the same exact style, in the same it, right, jackets, right, and the same, right. the same sets, pretty much. It's amazing. You know how much Eddie got paid for this, right? He did it for free. He did it for free. That's right. Eddie said, said I figured, who's going to know if I play on this kid's record? <laughs> I didn't want anything. This kid. Maybe Michael can give me dance lessons someday. That's what he said. The interesting thing is when Eddie came in to play, the engineer who worked this whole album wouldn't record Eddie's solo, fearing his ears would be damaged. So he hired somebody else because Eddie cranks the, the amps up really loud. And he's yeah. like, I make my living with my ears. I can't be here. So they hired somebody else to record the solo, and the original engineer actually mixed it after they recorded it. But the interesting thing is, a fire broke out in the control room as Eddie Van Halen played his guitar solo. Eddie was playing, and the monitor speakers literally caught on fire. <laughs> and the speaker cabinet caught on fire. I thought that was an interesting story. At about 2.45 into the song, there's an audible knocking noise just before Eddie starts his guitar solo. Rumors were that an angry and drunk Eddie made the noise, uh, that he was telling his assistant producer to F off, or that it was the sound of a guitar tremolo being bent. But the truth is just Michael Jackson was banging on a drum case. Yeah, and for, you, you hear that all through the song. Yeah, and if you look on the credits, Michael Jackson is listed on Beat It as drum case beater. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your, your story about Eddie and this thing catching on fire reminds me of a... Real quick, I, I, uh, I played in a band that rehearsed in a building where the dentist office was on the other side of the wall from my bass amp. 
And we came in one uh, Monday to rehearse and found out that um, the previous day we rehearsed, his his diplomas and certificates had fallen rattled off the, off the wall and fallen on the floor and broken because of the vibration of my bass amp on the other side of the wall. Alan was playing with thunder. <laughs> we almost got kicked out of there because of that. Oh my goodness! Well, you you had it turned up to you had it turned up to eleven. Oh, yeah, these things go to eleven. Yes. <laughs> no, great tune. It's all good. So let's listen to Michael Jackson and his uh, song that he wrote. It's supposed to be about gangs, but it was a really uh, a request from Macaulay Culkin. All right, let's listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> woohoo! That's why he goes woohoo! <laughs> All right, let's listen okay. to Beat Up by Michael Jackson. Let's go. Don't wanna see no blood, don't be a macho man. I had a chance to see Michael Jackson later on. I think it was during the Bad Tour. Oh, you saw him in concert? Yes. Oh, that must have been amazing. It must have been like a big like theater performance. It was. I, I've never seen anyone perform like that. He's on a totally different level than anyone else I've ever seen. Where you see him? In uh, LA? At the sports arena in L.A. I think it was 1989. Oh, wow. My girlfriend at the time dragged me and i'm glad she did because i've never seen a show like that before just incredible the physical things that he's capable of are just amazing he, he pulled out things that made the moonwalk look like look easy oh yeah he's a fantastic dancer he's just it's just you know you don't know how he's doing that it seems like he's gonna uh, sure violating he, the laws of nature or and something. i'm sure he had choreography and oh, with yeah. all dancers oh, yeah. and all that stuff yeah yeah no that's fantastic Okay, my number two. This is easy. It's a song you've already covered. It's No One Like You by the Scorpions mm -hmm. is my number two. So let's jump to number one off of an album that we just discussed, but not the song that we just discussed. Right, and I think it's great the way we're both choosing albums and choosing a different song right. from the albums. You chose Africa. Uh, the album and is you Toto. haven't chose anything yet, so the I don't know. The album is Toto 4. My number one is Rosanna right. from but, the but, album but, Toto 4. Yeah, but let's, let me go through mine first. Thriller from Michael Jackson is my number one. Absolutely huge. This was a spare, no expensive video. Uh, they brought John Landis in a direct uh, right off of his American Werewolf in London uh, mm. because they wanted to have that Good effect in the epic video that went along with this. And he also did Animal House and Blues Brothers and a billion other things. It's amazing production and a good song. His most iconic video, really, the song. Coupled with the one and only Vincent Price doing a cameo, it just made my choice easy. And, you know, Vincent Price is this famous actor who worked on all these horror films. And you can just hear his voice. <laughs> this is another bad choice. And they got Eddie Van Halen free on Beat It. And Vincent Price had a choice. He could take a percentage of the album sales or $20,000. Price was well along in his career, so he took the $20,000, and he could have made millions off the royalties. Wow. Due to the vast number of copies sold, even at that time. He actually was on the Johnny Carson show, and they brought that up. And he's like, yeah, I know, but what can you do? You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. It was a choice he made at the time, and he thought it was the right choice. 
there's there was a rumor that the UPC code on the album, which contains seven digits, were rumored to be Michael Jackson's telephone number. Oh wow! So everybody who had that number in several area codes really got annoyed with that. I guess this <laughs> this video won for uh, best performance video, best choreography, viewers' choice, all everything and above. I remember when it was a cultural milestone. This this video. Uh, this music video is considered the most famous video music video of all time, at least by the Library of Congress, mm -hmm. and the first music video in their registry at all of landmark uh, mm -hmm. art around the music video. The long version of Thriller is 14 minutes long. Once they released it on YouTube, it had 100 million views. The dancing and choreography is amazing. And the story, and the girl in the video, by the way, is Ula Ray, who was Playboy's Miss June of 1980. Michael Jackson got in trouble with his church. He was a Jehovah's Witness at the time. And he had to actually put a disclaimer at the beginning of the video because he was pressured by the church to do so. Due to my strong, due to my strong personal convictions, I wish to stress that this film has no way endorses a belief in the cult. After continued conflict and some of the other projects he did over the next couple of years and different music, he cut his ties with the Jehovah's Witnesses in 87. Hmm. Just such a good song. My number one, Michael Jackson, Thriller, the title track. And we're going to play all 14 minutes of it, so get ready. No, oh, I'm just no. kidding. No, we're just going to play uh, 20 seconds for you, probably a little longer for us. Here we go. And you start to Real quick, I just want to go and uh, fast forward just to hear some of the Vincent Price stuff at the end. So. Okay. <laughs> what a great laugh, let me tell you. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, he's fantastic. Great tune, great number one, and we already know what your number one is, so let's uh, uh, talk about that. That's another great tune. Rosanna by Toto. It charted number two for five weeks and most likely prevented from reaching number one by Eye of the Tiger. Won a Grammy for Record of the Year, nominated for Song of the Year. I want to talk about the drummer, Jeff Porcaro. Amazing drummer, one of the best drummers of his day. He developed a shuffle for this song that is that borrows from three separate grooves from three separate drummers. John Bonham of Led Zeppelin, the song Fool in the Rain. Bernard Purdy, Purdy Shuffle. And he was with Steely Dan. The third rhythm is the Bo Diddley Beat. This is probably one of the most recognizable drum tracks in all of rock. And Porcaro is one of the most accomplished drummers of his day. The lead vocal is shared by guitarist Steve Lukather and Bobby Kimball. The song features a genuine five-piece horn section. Horn arrangements add a lot to the song, especially at the end. There are really nice, intricate harmony vocals in the pre-choruses. The bridge is amazing. Multiple keyboard solos, very nice. A masterful guitar solo. And at the end, a B3 and horns come in again, and it just it makes the ending of the song completely. This is a well-crafted, well-performed, well-recorded and produced song that fires on all cylinders. Some of the best guitar solos ever recorded, in my opinion, by Steve Lukather. 
who has called the song the ultimate Toto track. And I just want to end with a shout out to the late Jeff Porcaro, one of the premier drummers of his day, one of my favorite drummers as a bass player. Sure. Played on my number one and my number two songs. Jeff, you were the best. No, absolutely. And um, well, this song got its name from Rosanna Arquette. So I understand. Yeah, yeah. who was dating uh, the keyboard player, uh, Steve Baccaro at the time. A lot of people thought it was dating Bobby Kimball because he was singing about Rosanna, of course. Great tune, fantastic groove, uh, fantastic musicians. Everybody in Toto was the person that people called Quincy Jones. Anybody who wanted something done quickly and correctly. They would They're call the best in the Lukather or one of the Parkera brothers. They would call all of them. Yeah, yeah. and if you—it's just amazing how many songs that are in the best songs of the '80s had Toto as the band that did it. Absolutely, and so, this song has a blast to play, to play bass too. So let's listen to Alan's number one song, "Rosanna" by Toto, off of Toto Four. Let's listen. job man so it's good it's a really good song man i had a great time tonight yeah it was fun it was it's such a good year to go discuss and there's so many things let's just take a quick second before we dive into reminding people what our top 12 was some songs that almost missed i just want to start with one album 1999 by prince who had the, Mm. the song 1999 and the song little red corvette which is one of his biggest songs. In 1999, got a lot of airplay. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Obviously, towards the millennium. That right, was, right. It was huge. And actually, once he in, once he died, too, it was... Uh, sure. Yeah. Anything else stand out to you that you kind of like almost put on? Like, oh, but we didn't talk about it all. Uh, Judas Priest. And the Talking Heads released a, a live album, but that was against the rules. So That's I wasn't true, yeah. was able to pick one of those songs. <laughs> yeah, one of the best live albums of all time, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I consider that to be one of the best albums, uh, best videos of all time. Uh, one of my other favorite bands, which I haven't actually got into this at all in any of my 80s stuff is kiss because i really think of them as more of a late 70s band but they had uh i love it loud and war machine this year so those were great and i couldn't see putting them in but coda came out by zeppelin this year thought about some stuff from there but it didn't quite work out uh there were bands that were successful in the late 70s that kind of really floundered into the 80s Mm-hmm. trying to do the same stuff that they were doing in the late 70s, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, UFO was one of them. Um, Journey kind of sputtered, and then Steve Perry's voice went out, and that was pretty much the end of that. Mm-hmm. But um, Yeah, they just came off of Escape in 81, I think, right? Right. But a lot of these classic rock bands just didn't survive through the 80s just because they were just, they didn't evolve along with the scene yep uh the only other songs i want to talk about which are really not in this genre that we really focused on which was the culture club do you really want to hurt me was a massive Mm -hmm. song that year come on eileen by dexie midnight runners 
is another uh, big song. Todd Rundgren even had a hit, uh, Bang the Drum All Day. One of my favorite... Great song. One of my favorite artists, George Thorogood, had a, his biggest hit that year, Bad to the Bone. Another Just, great song. But we covered a lot of it, the best of it, ton of fun. So let's go and remind people what my top 12 was. Okay. And then you do the same and start with your song of note. But here I'm going. My song of note was Someday, Someway by Marshall Crenshaw. My number 12 was Everybody Wants You by Billy Squire. Number 11, Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. Number 10, She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby. Number 9, Our House by Madness. Number 8, You Got Another Thing Coming by Judas Priest. Number 7, Southern Cross by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Number 6, Heat of the Moment by Asia off of the Asia album. Uh, Africa is my number 5 by Toto. My number 4 is Jack and Diane by John Mellencamp. Number 3, Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran. Number 2, No One Like You by The Scorpions. And my number 1 was Thriller by Michael Jackson. So, Alan, what is your top 12 list? Uh, my song of note is by the group Kansas. Play the game tonight. Uh, number 12, Only Time Will Tell by Asia. Number 11, Frank Zappa. The song Valley Girl. Uh, number 10, Survivor Eye of the Tiger. Number 9, Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf. Number 8, Van Halen, Oh Pretty Woman. 7, Huey Lewis, Do You Believe in Love? The Clash. Number 6, Rock the Casbah. Number 5, Scorpions, No One Like You. Number 4, Stray Cats, Rock This Town. Number 3, Rush, Subdivisions. Number 2, Michael Jackson, Beat It. And number 1, Toto, Rosanna. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, man. So it was. Always great having you on because you're always prepared and you always know what you're talking about. If you like what you're listening to, you're part of our community. We're trying to work on ways to get you more involved. We're having some voting for next season on Facebook. If you know anybody who will like the 80s especially or any of the stuff we're doing, just let them know. We really enjoy it. And thank you for being a part. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I'll see you in two weeks. We're going to be doing 19... 19- 81. God bless, and I'll see you soon.